First Peter chapter four, verse nine. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we're in the midst of a series called Words to Live By, uh, where we're taking these very short commands or exhortations or urges from uh, the Apostle Peter and considering how they apply to our life. So Peter has written this whole book about what it means to live a life that honors God, to um, take your part in the holy priesthood, to uh, live rightly in your relationships, to be ready to bear witness to your faith. And then he gets to the end and he, he adds all these urges on there at the end because it's almost like, okay, now, uh, if you've forgotten everything I've said, remember these next things, right? You've done that as parents. Uh, you've heard that done as a teacher. You've done that as a teacher. And, and Peter says, we talked about the first week, the end is here, so be sober. Uh, be aware. Don't fall ill to the, self, the intoxications of self-worth and self-indulgence. But give yourself to prayer. And then he said, and we read this last week, above everything else, love each other, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above everything else, love each other. Because love is at the core of what it means not only to follow God, but at the core of who God is. And we understood that love covers a multitude of sins because it keeps me from sinning. When I choose to love, I can't in the same moment choose to not love. If I choose to love, I can't choose to hate. If I choose to love, I can't choose to steal, kill, commit adultery, etc., etc., etc. So it's a, a sanctifying reality. Uh, to choose into love is to, to help, understand, uh, to help uh, move us, catalyze us towards the life that honors God. Uh, but not only that, that it helps me uh, to avoid the pitfall of personal offense. Having thin skin, not giving people the benefit of the doubt. Always taking things personally. Proverbs says it's, a, it's to a man's glory that he overlooks an offense. And then lastly, bold love leads us to confront sin because the cause of Christ is at stake. And so it actually moves us into dealing with the sin in other people's lives. And that way love covers a multitude of sins. And so now Peter continues on, and, and uh, many commentators will, will take the above all love love each other and offer hospitality in the same sort of sentence, I think it's good to separate them a little bit. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What is hospitality? Hospitality, when you think of it, is when you have someone over for a meal, right? Uh, I love to have people over to my house. Hospitality is when we invite people over. Uh, And so we sort of think about it along those lines. But I want to suggest to you three things about hospitality that I think will help us get a broader perspective, bigger perspective that I think God would have us in understanding this word because we've sort of understood it in a very, very narrow way in our world. And in the ancient context, it was a much more wide-open reality. Uh, And so if you're the kind of person who doesn't love when people just drop over to your house, there are ways for you, too, to live into the reality of hospitality. Hospitality is not hosting. We need to understand that first, right? So first thing I want to say is to offer hospitality to one another uh, is to open your home. 
It's to open your home. We can't go any further. We can't not say that. But hospitality is not equal to hosting. Right? So when we think of hospitality, if you're thinking about inviting uh, a few people over to your house for dinner, you're thinking about making sure that everything is clean, right? Making sure that you've prepared a good meal, making sure that everything is in order the way it needs to be so that when they come, they're received in the environment you want them to be received. That's hosting. Nothing wrong with hosting. Please don't hear me tell you that that's, there's something wrong or evil about that. It's good to clean your house, right? It's good, it's good to clean your toilets when company is coming over. It's good to, it's good to prepare good food, you know? But to say that that is hospitality makes us miss the bigger point of it. Hospitality is much more having an open home. And so in the ancient context, uh, the Hebrews understood this, uh, the Jewish people understood this to mean that at any moment's notice, your home was available to whoever might need it. Right? And in that culture, because there weren't necessarily lots of hotels, and people didn't have lots of means, and the hotels were places that were not only seedy, but very, very dangerous, the Christian community knew that they needed to count on each other when they were traveling around for the sake of hospitality. Take, for instance, the Apostle Paul when he's journeying from place to place to place. And even the early church, when it begins to meet, it only exists because of the hospitality of people who opened their homes where the church could meet together, almost always in secret, initially. Hospitality is having an open home, but it's not hosting. It's saying that my home is available for who might need it. Now, it is easy in the Christian in the Christian mindset and sort of in preaching a sermon or receiving a sermon to sort of take things to the excess, right? Offer hospitality. That means my home's got to be available whenever. My dad had a college friend who somehow started living, uh, got a job or something, lived near my, my, my dad's grandmother, my great-grandmother, and he began showing up at her house uh, around mealtimes, like conveniently, right? Uh, and that, he wasn't the only one who used to do that. He was a consumer of, of people's foods. This is not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not suggesting to you that to, to live a life that honors Christ. Peter is not saying to his people, you know, above everything else I've said to you, you need to let people show up always at dinner time just so they can show up. Or you need to, let's put it just honestly and bluntly, you need to become a rug that people walk all over. That's not the point of hospitality. The point isn't that you need to be used and abused to provide for other people. The point is, it's a, dis- it's a disposition, right? It's a way of thinking so that you are open to providing for other people. And it begins with your home, right? It begins with your home. There are always going to be people in need, and there's always going to be ways that you can help, and there's going to be lots of ways that you can't help. And part of finding wisdom in the skill of offering hospitality is navigating through it. Peter says, offer hospitality. First and foremost, it means you have to open your home. But secondly, it also means you have to open your hands. You have to open your hands. Because it is a disposition. It's a disposition of grace. It's a disposition of generosity. In fact, you might even be able, sort of, uh, not a straight translation, but a, but a cultural translation of taking hospitality as a disposition and 
straight saying, it means to be generous. It means to be generous. It's a, it's a way of life. It's the way that you view the world and you in the world and your stuff that you've accumulated. Is it yours? Or is it with you? Two different things, right? Having hospitality, being able to offer hospitality means not only having an open home, but open hands that anyone could be blessed by. In fact, the word hospitality is philoxenos. That's two Greek words, phileo, love, and xenos, strangers, foreigners. To love strangers. It doesn't just mean to provide shelter for someone or to offer them a meal. It's a way of life, a disposition. Uh, and, and, and it was so critically important in the Jewish culture, so important to the heart of God. Uh, he even puts it this way in the book of Exodus, Exodus 22, verse 12. You better treat, I'm using my paraphrase here, you better treat foreigners well, Israelites, because you were foreigners in Egypt. You know what it's like. Right? So often we get into situations of comfort and we forget what discomfort was like. So often we get into situations of provision and we forget what need was like. And even if you've never had material, physical situations of lacking provision or having need um, or any of these situations, spiritually, we forget what it was like to be far from God and to know that God's disposition of generosity towards us was an offer of hospitality and grace for us. Open house, open home, uh, open hands, and then lastly, and this is where it really comes from, it's an open heart. Right? Offering hospitality is having an open heart. And that's part of, we'll get to it in a minute, why Peter says, and don't grumble while you do it, by the way. Basically meaning, if you're grumbling while you're doing it, you're not doing it. (laughs) You know? Having an open heart. Having a heart, uh, let me put it this way. Having a heart that's so given to mission, to the mission of God in the world, which is broad, not only uh, introducing people to Jesus, but introducing the themes of the kingdom to the world. Right? There are two very important realities of this. When we're given to this mission, it's actually mission that gives birth to fellowship in the church. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think about fellowship as something that we have to create in a church, right? And so we have small groups or community groups, we call them, or we'll have smaller gatherings, we'll do fun things together, we'll have church in the park for a whole month, and we're building fellowship. We're creating social structures. That's not fellowship in the biblical sense. The biblical sense of fellowship is shared vision, shared mission, and therefore shared life. It's when we all get on the same mission that real fellowship comes to play, and then the very tangible manifestation of fellowship is hospitality. It's hospitality. Mission breeds fellowship, which breeds hospitality. And, can I say this? To understand sort of the holistic view of hospitality and not get so narrow-minded about opening your home. Now, I don't want this to like for no one to have anyone in their home anymore because like, that's not the point of what I'm getting at. You just, we need to keep doing that a lot. The home is, is a, a, a wonderful way. But one of the great ways to understand sort of the heart of this loving 
the stranger. And, and I think when we say loving stranger, it, right, it's not just the idea that we need to show love to people we don't know. Right? It's also the idea that we're showing love to fellow strangers, fellow yeah. journeyers, because we're sojourners, journeyers, nomads, strangers in this land. This land is not our home. Right? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers here. And so the Christian idea of fellowship together, brotherhood, comes out of that in hospitality, but hospitality is also the people that we don't know. So keep those in together. The way that it's manifest then, sort of in its full breadth, I think, is through all those one another passages that are scattered through the New Testament. There are 59 times that we're given commands that are centered around one another. 59 times. The Greek word alelon, right? One another. One another. This is what it looks like on a piece of paper in small print. It must matter, right? If they're talking about it this much. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. Pursue peace in the building up of one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Greet one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show tolerance for one another. Be kind to one another. Speak to one another. Be subject to one another. Bear with one another. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Abound in love for one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Be fervent in your love for one another. You get the point. To offer hospitality means, in its fullness, to have the manifestation of all of those things. An open heart leads to open hands which ultimately leads to an open house that isn't just hosting, which is good, not bad, but not necessarily hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another. I wish it ended right there. But Peter has to say without grumbling, right? Without grumbling. And we all know that we are good grumblers, right? Just be honest with the people next to you. You are so good at grumbling. I used to... I had a, a, um, a mentor, still have a mentor, is one of his favorite sayings is, um, American Christians are the most satisfied grumblers. Right? <laughs> We're just, it like just comes naturally to us. Um, some of you, maybe, uh, maybe me, grumbled when we learned we had to move our cars a few minutes ago, right? Uh, because what we know is that there are probably three ways that grumbling can happen. Uh, it can happen out loud. Sometimes we just let it fly, right? <laughs> Grumbles just, boom, they're coming out. Uh, it can happen under your breath, right? Or the third one, which we don't evaluate a lot, but is the most common, is it happens in your spirit. It happens in your spirit. You can grumble out loud, you can grumble under your breath, you can grumble in your spirit. And that's the reality, isn't it? In fact, the Greek word here means mutter, Right? It has the idea of just whispering to the person next to you. I had a history teacher in high school who used to call it kibitzing. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I never still knew what it was until finally he said it enough times. I had to look it up, and I thought, is that what we're doing back here? I guess it is. I, uh, in high school, had a, a class, a, I guess it was psychology, a class in psychology, and a teacher named Mr. Bennett who had significant loss of hearing in his ears, 
from uh, lots of shooting at the at the gun range, shooting range, without silencers or ear headphones or whatever it is you wear in your ears to cover it. And so people in his class, it was it was a it was a comedy of errors in his class because he was sort of funny and a little off, a little aloof. But people, in, in retrospect, this shouldn't be as funny. People would say whatever they wanted to, as loud as they wanted to, to this man, and he never heard it. He just kept on teaching the class, right? So people would say, you know, your flies down. I love you, Mr. Bennett. You know, they, all kinds of just whatever they shouted out all the time. And then he had this assignment where, and uh, where he wanted us to get in in small groups, and we would research research a topic. And then we'd present it to the class. We'd sort of teach the class, and that's how the class would learn that. And I muttered under my breath, this is stupid. Do you know that man heard me? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Bennett says, Adam, I don't think this is stupid at all. Why don't you share with the class why you think this is stupid? People are screaming things all semester long. He doesn't hear anything. I say, this is stupid. And he hears it. There are ways that we grumble, that we think that it's just us. But it doesn't change the blackness of our heart, does it? It doesn't change what's going on. Most of our grumbling happens never audibly. Unless you're in a car alone and X number of situations happen, then you just let it fly because no one's around to watch. Right? We are the most satisfied group of complainers and grumblers. The Israelites once were foreigners in Egypt. God miraculously leads them out, right? Miraculously in ways that probably none of us in our life will even taste an iota of. I'm talking about he sends plagues on their enemies, boils and frogs and, and swarms of, of insects and turning water to blood, these miraculous things. And, and ultimately, the firstborn dies, but all of Israel's firstborn is saved by, by the blood of, of the clean lamb. And then he gets them out of bondage from Egypt after 400 years. And Pharaoh's army pursues them to the edge of the sea. And God parts a great body of water, and the Israelites walk through. And not just that, but then he waits for the Egyptian army to get in, and he unparts it and does away with them. And just a few short weeks later, when the provision of food that God is graciously giving them doesn't meet their expectations, they grumble. The reality is, that's my story. It's my story. Constantly living in expectation. Constantly living in the idea that I deserve certain things. And wondering why I'm not getting it to the level I want. And overlooking all the ways that God has blessed me in the meantime. Why do people grumble? Two reasons. One, they don't live in thankfulness. We don't live in recognition of a gracious God. We live in expectation rather than gratitude. We expect that these things should happen to us. And so when they don't come, it irritates us. Rather than being thankful for all the ways that God has already met us. If we lived in thankfulness, it would radically change who we were. If we really learned how to return thanks and then live in the presence of the grace of God constantly, it would change us radically. I'm convinced of it. But it is very hard for us to do that. 
is very hard for us to do that because we are always on to the next thing. Always on to the next thing. Always on to the next thing. And so we're prone to grumble. Prone to grumble. And there may be a second reality that may be even more at the heart of Peter here. Why people grumble. Is that we're trying to live a life that pleases God in our own power. Rather than living a life that honors God in response to His goodness. Do you catch the difference? We are trying to perform a moral exercise by offering hospitality, by showing love. We're trying to perform a moral exercise by uh, living in compassion and kindness, caring for one another. And in our own power, that takes energy, that takes stamina, all of which we don't have lots of, and we are prone to grumble, right? I'm doing this, but I don't like it. You may not say that, but you've thought that a lot of times, right? I'm doing this, but I don't like it. I'll do it for you, but I'm not going to be happy about it, right? That's how husbands and wives stay together for so long that live in such unhealthy marriages, right? Because they sort of live in this operation of having to do things rather than living in a response of the goodness of a relationship between one another. It's totally different. It's totally different. And Peter, I think, cuts to the quick here because he knows what it's like for him and what it's like for all of us. Lest we are living in response to God's grace and goodness to us, we will always try to do these Christian things, these morally good things, in our own power. It's a moral exercise. The word exercise is a good one because if you're like me, uh, I exercise because it's good for me. I do not like it. I hate just about everything about it. I hate running and walking. I hate lifting weights. But I find myself, while I'm doing it, what? Grumbling constantly. How much of your Christian life is that way? It doesn't have to be that way. Loving each other, caring for each other, all the one another's of fellowship that comes from sharing mission, if lived in response to the grace of God, will change and color how and why you do it. We don't do it so that we can check Christian boxes off. We don't do it because God told us to. We do it because God has dealt with me in a radical way. And it is changing me and causing me to deal with other people in radical ways. Bit by bit. And the more we call Christ into our personal transformation the more transformation will actually happen. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Why and how? It's the gospel. Hospitality, feel like xenos, love strangers. The word xenos also came to be understood as enemies because your strangers were your enemies. In that day and age, you were wary of anyone who wasn't part of your people group because there were warring tribes and people everywhere. And so this word came to be sort of, and lots of people think that Jesus' command to love your enemies sort of comes out of this idea. What does the Bible say about me? What does the Bible say about me? Right? 
the Bible says that perhaps a man of good character would die for a good man, but not many. But Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. In other places it says we were enemies of God and God came and found us. If that storyline is something we really believe, then it changes us. It changes us because we begin to live in that story and we begin to take up the call to hospitality to live the one another's in a new light. Deal well with foreigners because you once were foreigners in Egypt. Can I put it to you this way? Deal well with sinners because you once and currently are sinners in this world. God has dealt with you in such immense loads of grace and love. And this is our story. Let me pray with you. Jesus, thank you for the way in which you have loved us in spite of us. for the way in which you have loved us because of us, just not in this way, messed up way that we are. Jesus, thank you that you didn't see fit to stay in heaven and grumble about the state of affairs in earth, but you willingly entered into our mess so that the kingdom could be offered to all in a complete manifestation of hospitality. Let us be those kind of people to this world and to each other. Not people that are just so given that we're used and abused and not caring for ourselves, but people that have a disposition to care for each other. To have open hearts and open hands and open homes. And Jesus, would you come do it for us? Because if we try to do it in our own power... It's just going to be colored by the grumbling nature of our hearts. Thank you, God, that you are love, even though we are not. Pray it in your name. Amen.